The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaos. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express, where we are traveling around Belgrade, meeting people, inspecting sculptures, and possibly visiting jewelry stores. If you'd like, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Old Ways Podcast. As always, we'd love to thank you, the listener, and especially those Patreon supporters who are making our investigators' lives oh so much more interesting. So we'll start with introductions to my right. Hello, this is Mike, and I play James Robert Fraser, who is looking forward to potentially uh, a nice déjeuner sur l'herbe. Not sure what that was, but that sounds fantastic to Mr. Fraser's right. Hi, I'm Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and uh, I've gone with Maggie to see a man about a body part. Yes, I mean, if there's anyone who's going to know about body parts, it would be Maggie. And speaking of, to Lady Elizabeth, right? Hi, this is Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a little nervous about exposing my body parts to a strange man. It's okay, he has a mustache. And last, but most certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney. And uh, Richard finally gets to find out what uh, should be in this missing lens. Yes, a very interesting callback to a former episode, one that played out in Act 2. And uh, hopefully we'll get to see the culmination therein. Uh, we are again in the Missing Simon formation, and uh, hopefully we'll be rejoining the cast very shortly. So we're going to raise the curtain tonight as our two gentlemen, Mr. Fraser and Professor Courtney, are making their way across Belgrade to visit a shop. Not terribly far from their current position, but uh, they are being redirected there to an alleyway, which where this shop seems to be located. The buildings here, again, are in decent repair, at least in this section of the street that you're in. And then also they do have a light redoing of the mortar in many places. You, you can see where the patchwork of brick work has been redone in certain sections, likely where shells from cannons fired across the river landed here in the city. But Professor, you're on a mission. You finally reached Belgrade and you are interested in seeing if that wonderful jeweler can find a fit for that white sapphire that you saw aboard the train. And so you stand here in the busy streetway outside the shop. You're having a little bit of a trouble getting close to it, given all the people walking about. 
This area of the city is thick with people, and uh, it's almost that Saturday morning market feeling here. Even though this structure isn't directly in the marketplace, there are a lot of what seem to be temporary stalls that have been put up nearby that are increasing foot traffic. The people of Belgrade are not shy about having to come into physical contact with people to get them to move. They also don't seem to be giving you the right of way very often. And so as the two of you have moved on to this street closer to the shop, it's probably a group of a hundred, maybe 150 people in a two block space here where uh, the streets were not so busy here. They certainly are. Goodness me, it seems to be rather, rather crowded this morning. Is it usually like this, Peter? Oh, yes. Unfortunately, um, the past few weeks have seen uh, an uptick. He sort of moves his arm, gestures wildly to the right to push away someone who is getting too close to you. Go on, go on, go on. Go around. He seems almost uh, frustrated. So something uh, happened uh, recently that's, uh, that's caused this? There has been a, um, a change in the market. Like I said, people shops coming in and sh- shops leaving. Some people are deciding to move their places, their stalls in the bazaar to the places outside where they live now. And so the markets here are moving physically. Is that something that happens often, or is there something in particular that's caused it? He scratches the back of his neck. I tend to think it's um, disagreement between the Serbs. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I understand that there are a, a few different, um, what would be the right word, factions, communities that do not necessarily see eye to eye here? Yes, very perceptive. Yes, that is exactly what it is. What's your take on it as a man born, bred and buttered, as they say, here in Belgrade? I think we all have to eat and we all have to sleep and we all have to live. And if we focus on that rather than our differences, maybe we'd be in a better position. That's a very sound, sound philosophy. Yes, yes, I couldn't agree more. What do you say, Professor? Hmm? Live and let live, eh? Well, yes, quite. I mean, there's, there's always politics and, uh, uh, I don't know. It's very complicated. People, yes, you're right. People just need to get on with each other, really. Well, God brought us all here. He's going to take us away at some point. The space in the middle is the time for adjoinment. Never was a truer word spoken. Yes, yes, indeed. Quite so. Wake up one day, you might end up getting shot. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that, uh, Professor. My my friend here has a has a somewhat uh, a philosophical and uh, well, some might say pessimistic outlook on uh, on life. You say shot? He looks around. Oh, you don't want to listen to him. He has a very vivid imagination. Yes, you never know what might happen, eh? Well, come along, Professor. Let's uh, let's see about this uh, this fellow and see if he can provide the service that you require. Yes. So Peter pushes quite literally people aside to get you through this space and uh, makes way for you to get to the front door. I was just going to say, I'm keeping a, a very firm grip on my wallet and my revolver, making sure that my, uh, my jacket is uh, buttoned up tight. And uh, if anybody tries to slip their hand into my pocket to um, relieve me of any currency, then uh, they shall be uh, receiving very short shrift indeed. I would like the both of you to make hard spot hidden rolls. Here we go. How about an extreme? 16 under 86. Richard is very busy focusing on his shop, the place he's going to go. So 
Mr. Fraser, you see it coming. Professor, you do not. It's between these couple of people that that are moving behind you and one is moving in front of you between you and Peter that the first hand goes for the sort of inside pocket or some sort of pocket on the professor. They're not coming after you, Mr. Fraser. They're coming after the professor. I think if I see this uh, in time, I am just going to reach out and try and grab the wrist of the hand that's attached to the hand that is trying to get into the professor's pocket. Yeah, you grab a probably a 13, 14-year-old boy's wrist, and he... Let me go! Not so fast, laddie, not so fast. Now, you're going to be a good boy and uh, tell all your friends that my friend here and myself are a persona non grata for your sticky fingers, hmm? So at the end of his hand, you see that he has a pair of dice between his fingers. They're mine. Don't believe it. Give those back here. It doesn't take more than um, perhaps a, a few simple protests and the boy hands the dice over. They're not even worth anything. You be on your way, you young rapscallion. He uh, sneers at the both of you and turns tail and runs deeper into the street here to be covered by oh so many of uh, his countrymen. Well, thank you for that. I um, oh, They've been moving me a, a long time, those dice. They're not worth anything to anyone else. Yes, they do have some sort of sentimental value. Well, we all carry things that have sentimental value, but first the dice and then uh, the wallet, I dare say. Richard checks to see if he's still got his wallet. Indeed you do. You do have your wallet, Professor, and a couple of the people that were going to be in your space and area have sort of spread out. You see Peter shooing people away. And when he's shooing people away, Mr. Fraser, you catch the fact that he has a well, I guess you would call it a, a, a kosh on his belt that he seems to keep around. It's not out, but he's definitely armed. Yes, you need to keep your eyes about you, Professor. All sorts of cheeky wee thieves on the streets around hereabouts. Come on, let's let's go into this shop. Uh, Peter, we're just going to go into this uh, wee shop here. You're welcome to join us if you want, or we can catch up with you later. We shouldn't be too long. Oh, uh, I- I'm happy to wait outside. Very good, very good. He steps almost in a century's pose, like against the front door and to the window. And you see him take his index finger and point at a couple of the other younger kids who are around. And he says something in a language you don't understand. And and they uh, make faces back at him. Uh, Seems we have a, uh, a guardian angel of sorts, Professor. Yes, quite a feisty bunch around here, aren't they? You step in the shop. This is a small shop. I would say it's likely more the size of the front of the shop that you saw in Lausanne, where there's a couple of glass cases. There's a almost deadening of the sound from the street. The woods here and the stonework here is fairly thick inside. The windows aren't obstructed by any means. There appear to be some sort of bars that are kept that can be slid down over the windows. Probably have seen some contraptions like this in fancier cities. But obviously it's some some measure of protection for the windows. That way people can look, but after hours, people can keep their hands off his stuff. What kind of stuff does he have in the window display? Um, It's mostly what look like 
necklaces. There are some heirloom pieces you figure, watches, rings. They're in a small case that when you're inside the shop and you take a few steps closer to where that window displays, they're uh, they're gettable. So silvers, golds, and um, jewels seem to be his specialty. Is it more like a normal jeweler's or is it more like a pawn shop? No, this looks more like a jewelry shop. Well, Professor, you, you, you know this fellow. Um, you sh- should really take the lead. Indeed. Um, excuse me. There's another man at the front of the shop. He is, um, I'd say he's probably size 75. He's somebody who probably has that close to or equal in strength. And he seems to be sitting in a, what looks like a bar stool, maybe a converted bar stool at one point. A little higher up on the counter, and he is carefully watching the two of you as you're the only two in the shop. Richard will walk up to him and give him the card. I'm assuming this is not the man we saw on the train. Definitely not the man you saw on the train. The man you saw on the train was uh, graying hair, looked definitely shorter than this. He's he's probably five, 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 six. He's probably He was a little pudgy the last time you saw him. He was well-dressed, but... And he had that massive suitcase with all of the tools in it. I'm looking for this gentleman. Oh, of course. One moment. He turns around and steps just into the doorway where he can still see the both of you and still look into the back of the shop. And he says, Mikhail, a guest. Easiest way to explain it to the two of you would be that there is a disturbance in the back shop area. You hear a couple of things clatter. Uh, One moment, one moment stuff. One moment. You see the aforementioned and the aforimagined man from the train peer in the doorway. His cheeks are flush. He has a strange series of spectacles on. And so you see he has uh, glasses, but uh, over top of them there are goggles, and there are multiple lenses that bend over them that seem to magnify portions of his face. It gives you a very strange feeling to look at him face to face. Good afternoon. uh, If you remember me, I'm Richard Courtney from uh, the Orient Express. Oh, of course, Mr. Courtney. Yes. He takes a a handkerchief and puts it on his mouth. Uh, How are you? I I see you've... um... Oh, and I remember you. He points you at at you, Mr. Fraser. You both uh, looked at the, uh, the sapphire, the white sapphire. Yes, yes, that's right. And we did, if you remember, say that... uh, when I was uh, passing through Belgrade, you might be able to um, take a look and attempt to fit it to the uh, uh, my optical device that I have here. Oh, do you have it with you, finally? I, I do indeed. And Richard uh, withdraws it. Does he look ill, this fella? It would be a medicine roll, a hard medicine roll. I'll, I'll give it a shot. No, no I got 90. It's hard to say, really, as far as whether or not. I just, I was just thinking because because he kind of seemed to cough when he was talking. I was wondering if he looked he looked ill. He looks flush. That's really the most you could say. Likely, you might presume either he's working on something intently in the back room there, or perhaps he'd had a bit of uh, drink with his lunch or something like that that he was uh, still yet you know digesting. Yes, yes. He uh, takes uh, just a moment and he seems to pause in the doorway as if he's looking for something. He pats the guy that was by the corner. Lock the front door. 
He turns around and heads back into the back room, and you can hear him sort of shouting over his shoulder. And he says, uh, don't worry. I, we, we, of course, mean you no harm, but um, there are certain pieces I don't bring out unless the doors are locked. Right. He trundles back up about a minute later, and he has that case you saw from the train in his hand. And he sets it on the counter. I have been thinking about this for some time now. I was hoping that you would stop by. It's, I feel like it's been weeks since I've seen you. Yes, it's been a little while. You're a bit pale, Professor. Are you all right? Oh, well, not really. I, we had a little altercation on the platform, and uh, I don't quite know why, but um, why I was um, unfortunately shot a couple of times. Shot? God! Yes, with bullets. Are you quite well, sir? You seem to have a nasty cough there. I have been working very carefully on a piece for a gentleman who came in just a a week or so ago and paid handsomely for a a piece he wanted turned into something. When you came in, I was still working at making the proper cuts, and some of the the dust from the work got into my throat. Uh. What on earth are you carving? Is it um, some sort of stone or...? Yes, obsidian. Obsidian? Right. Uh, that's a sort of black one, isn't it? I'm not a not a, an expert geologist. It's very difficult because it's so brittle. What would he have you um, form this into the shape of? It sounds like a very odd um, uh, commission. It is. It's for a necklace. Ah. It's an arrow point he's wanted. Right. An arrow point. An obsidian arrow point. Oh, that sounds... Um... Rather, I don't know. Unusual. Not that I know anything about obsidian or arrows, that is. No, no. A, a topic for another time. But your um, request, the sapphire. Yes. Must confess, I ran into some trouble after our meeting on the train. Right. He um, reaches for a bottle. Of, we'll just say, uh, well, it looks like water anyway, under the counter and takes a drink out of it. He came in uh, to the shop here. This trouble started with the man. After I was speaking with you on the train about this sapphire, the man who objected to it being a white sapphire behind me came to my shop days later. I thought he was planned on getting off on the train somewhere in Milan. Did not. He appeared in my shop and he demanded the sapphire at gunpoint. I see... Do you still have the uh, the sapphire? I do, because I was willing to tell him that he would have to shoot me to get it. I must tell you, I've, I've, I've never made such a claim in my life, <laughs> and would never again. No, it's quite something I can tell you. you called his bluff. Rather foolhardy move. I don't think so. He uh, opens his suit jacket, which has been fairly uh, tied up. Say buttoned up very tightly, and he uh, undoes it, and you see that he's wearing some sort of thick piece of clothing under his under his jacket. Would I have um, been aware of early bulletproof vests and the like during the war? You certainly would have. There are a couple of styles of them too. Obviously, there's the less, uh, we'll just say, conspicuous lobster versions of them but there are other versions that were made and that were used shortly after the great war and even some during the great war 
it wouldn't be impossible for Fraser to know of their existence and be able to surmise that he's wearing some sort of protective clothing. Ah, I see. Yes, indeed. Are things that uh, that bad here that you feel the need to wear that, uh, that protection at all times? I wear it um, during the day here at the shop, and it is not that things are so bad in Belgrade that I have not been able to survive without it. I began wearing it a week ago when this man, man who I'd shooed from the shop who tried to shoot me, came back again. I refuse to take any chances at this point. Very wise. He is here somewhere in the city, and... I have hired an assistant. He sort of uses his the back of his hand to sort of tap on the large man who's next to him. So if he comes in again, we'll ring him on the neck. Do you know the name of this man and why he wants this sapphire so badly? I'm sorry, Professor, I sense you were about to ask exactly the same question there. Well, great minds think alike and all that. No actual idea what his name is. The card he gave me is rooted back to somewhere in... The Americas. I've called the number there. They don't know this man. Did he sound like an American or? Oh, he sounded like an Englishman. Oh, another Englishman. Yes, they're all over. I know. Did we, um, did we see this guy on, on the train? You certainly did. In fact, it was you, Mr. Fraser, that identified his uh, accent as being English. Can, um, can you remind me what he looked like? A little bit thinner than the jeweler, salt and pepper hair, not completely gray. He had a distinguished look about him, and he wore, um, we'll just say, a proper clothing that a gentleman would wear. Likely, maybe not someone of peerage state. Yeah, somebody well to do. Yeah, probably. Uh, what sort of age was he? Eh, Mid forties. At first, I thought that he was just trying to discount the potential of the white sapphire because he wanted to buy it for himself. That is not it. He wants to take it. I wonder who the devil he is. Yes, indeed. It seems rather extraordinary lengths to go to just for one... I I take it this item has a substantial cash value. Your professor friend, he gestures to Richard, attempted to purchase it off me for 75 pounds sterling. And after having it properly assessed by multiple jewelers along the way, as I had surmised, it's worth five times that value. Right, well... Yes, I mean, it is a, a fine piece. Oh, don't be coy. It's perfectly fine to barter. It's part of business. I am English, and we don't really like to barter very much. I'm sure it's a fine piece for that. Money will be uh, no no problem. As I cast my eye around this shop, do I reckon that there is a considerable value of items around here that would mean that just to... To threaten a man's life to steal one jewel would seem disproportionate. Absolutely. That is the hugest disparity of the logic in your detective sort of brain that you put to this is, wait, hang on a second. There's five times the value of probably that single gem in the stuff arrayed around me. It, what is so special about this one singular thing that you must have it? It doesn't line up exactly, which makes sense because you don't know the whole story kind of keep that in my head at the, for the time being anyway. What do you think about the fitment to the device? Do you think it, uh, it's, a, it's a relatively simple job or? Simple? Um, relatively speaking, with all of the tools I have here, yes. 
I mean, for someone of your, uh, uh, you know, expertise, of course, I, I'm not suggesting the job is simple. I, I'm quite sure I'd make quite a dog's dinner of it. No, no, no. I, I can assure you that likely is relatively easy. He sort of looks at the, have you, have you taken out the device to show him what it looks like? Yeah. He looks at the, the missing lens, the empty lens, and he slowly unopens the box that has the white sapphire in it. And you can see that the sapphire would have to be cut to form this specific portion. I would have to alter the stone slightly, but it wouldn't be terribly difficult. No, that's good. And even in the light here that exists in the shop, you can still see that kaleidoscopic effect that light gives when it hits this stone. Richard is just curious, curious beyond belief. Well, that, I guess, remains then the question. Are you to purchase it? Oh, oh, indeed, yes. I, uh, As I said, I, there's nothing wrong with the price. I'm more than willing to pay that. Fully fitted, I assume. Of course. The price would include the labor of installing it. It would take me likely a day. That seems reasonable. The other lens here, there's, uh, you can see one with a crack. I'm interested in your opinion on what material that is and whether it might be possible to replace. He takes out one of his lenses and adjusts it the fitment. It's very strange watching him do this because the pantomime of it sort of reminds you a lot of what happens with the device automatically when you put it on. And he peers down, you see the his eyeball gets really big close to it. Looks like it's just glass. No. Oh. But there's something different. The cut there. Did you get something on it? No, I don't believe so. I'm not its first owner, you understand, but what do you mean? Is it sort of a, some kind of a film, a deposit? Has it permeated the material? No, it's some sort of... There's a tinting that's been done to this glass. It isn't a tinting that's been done to give it colour, but to strip it away. I'm not entirely sure how that would work. Neither am I. I'd have to test it. I would be very interested to understand what that material is and uh, what effect this anti-tint has had on it. It looks like there's some sort of process that it's been put through. He adjusts a few more lenses and looks seems to look even closer at it. It's gone through some sort of treatment process. There's a film on it. Humor me, if you wouldn't mind, my good fellow. Um, do the other lenses have a similar treatment, or is it, is it just this one? He goes through and looks at each one of these lenses. No, they're not glass by any means. Each one of these are some sort of gemstone that's been cut, almost shaped for this purpose. But this, he turns around to the cracked lens, this is just glass. Right. How strange. If you'd like me to replace it with a, a type of glass, I certainly could. Well, let's leave it for the moment. I shall think about this. All right, then. For the work and for the stone, one of a kind, I shall write you a bill. Uh, £375, I believe. That's correct. I mean, you could meet us at the uh, hotel that we're staying at. Business transaction, Professor. It should be done in the shop, yes? You had some concerns about bringing that money here. Who would have concern about bringing it here? I'm not the one that will have to transport it. Unless you keep that sort of pound sterling on you. 
Richard does keep money on him, but I'm not quite sure what he would think is reasonable. Well, I'll tell you what, Professor. Give me a successful luck roll and you'll have the money. I... It's not a zero one. It's a, it's a one zero. We'll say luckily enough for you, Professor. You have just enough pounds sterling on you to pay for it. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Fraser. I, I'm afraid I won't be able to pay for lunch, but um, at least we don't have to go back to the hotel to get some money. Uh, that's quite all right, uh, Professor. I have a few denarii on me. I'm sure I could uh, stretch to a, a coffee and a ham roll or something. Ah, perfect. Thank you. Well, then leave the device with me and feel free to pick it up tomorrow afternoon. All right. Yes, no, we'll, we'll do. Wonderful. He uh, takes the money. He does not count it. He just simply takes it. And then he writes you a bill of sale for the white sapphire and signs his name and asks you to sign the bill of sale as well, making sure that it's legal. Because the device doesn't have a case anymore because you carry it freely. He has the device in his left hand and then the stone in the right. And he said, by tomorrow afternoon, these two will be joined. Never to be parted, hopefully. Marvellous. And I, I will give some further thought to the uh, the other lens. You, you say it has a coating on it. I could perhaps look to see if there's a way I could remove some of the coating to, to chemically test it, to tip to ascertain what the coating is. It is of some value to me. I, I wouldn't want to ruin it. I know a little about physics, you understand. I'm not an expert in, uh, in gemstones and, and the like, but perhaps if you were to look at the side of it, you, um, the uh, way that the light refracts might give you a clue as to what it might be. But uh, please, please be careful. Of course. I'm sure you will. I hope you don't mind my asking, but um, this, this coating that you see here, uh, can you tell how it was applied? Was it painted on or dipped or something like that? My guess would be dipped just kind of look at the professor and look back at him. Well, uh, good day, gentlemen. Uh, we'll, we'll close early, of course, in uh, celebration of such a wonderful sale. Yes, well, uh, thank you once again, and uh, we will be back tomorrow. Thank you, yes. Of course. Just before we go out, while I was kind of sort of standing in the shop while this conversation was, was going on, um, is this other fellow, Gustav, is he still here as well? Absolutely, yes. He barely leaves the jeweler's side. So my my kind of feeling is that obviously there's a lot of valuable jewelry here. This guy is a, a bodyguard, as it were, or something of that like. Like he's he's protection, he's security. But um, I, I'd like to have been watching both the jeweler and this guy while the whole conversation about the lens and the guy who came in with the gun to threaten him, and also the device while this whole conversation was going on just to see if I can get a read on either of these two gentlemen, to just to see if I can tell whether there's anything about them that might give me cause for concern or suspicion. Sure. It's a psychology roll. Bloody hell, that's a zero six. He seems pretty to the point about what his purpose is. He doesn't seem to appear hostile to, to you, especially after... You and the shop owner seem, the three of you seem to get on so well. He keeps a very close eye on the front door. He keeps a very close eye on the windows. And he doesn't loom by any means, but he doesn't need to. Yeah. So the two of them seem trustworthy then. Yeah. As far as you can tell, even on that sort of extreme, I guess you might even pick up that the shop owner is actually 
kind of surprised to even see the professor. You know, he did, he did not expect the professor to come in through the door. I, I guess I would add to that too, this specific point for you, because it's such an extreme role. It's like the shop owner didn't expect Richard to pay the price at five times what they had agreed to. He didn't even haggle or anything. No, there's no haggling. He just accepted it. And so the shop owner sort of bewildered a little bit that, not in a bad way, but just completely taken aback that any of these events would have happened. And now, of course, yes, he's closing because as far as dinars are concerned, he's made twenty or $30,000 inside of you know 15 minutes. Does he look still concerned or worried about his safety and the safety of the, of the shop because of this guy who's come in and threatened him with the gun? Or does he look like, you know, he's got his bulletproof vest, he's got his bouncer? Yeah, I think the read you'd probably get uh, from him in that regard during the conversation is that he feels really safe now. It might even be that the bars in this place are a little new, but between that and the vest and the bouncer, he feels pretty safe. You actually probably wouldn't be too surprised if there is a pistol somewhere under the counter or something like that to give further confidence to the shop owner all right then so he settles up with you professor and then tells you you know call on him around one or two o'clock tomorrow in the afternoon and uh, he should be able to fit you with the uh, completed device well absolutely marvelous thank thank you once again and uh, i look forward to finally seeing it complete yes of course of course so back at the museum you have been speaking with the curator uh, Miss Bellinger and Lady Elizabeth, you've been speaking with one Dr. Todorovich. And he's been a little coy about making sure that your bona fides are up to snuff and you've agreed to meet at a hotel you are not staying at, thanks to the um, wagging tongue of Miss Bellinger, who has set up a meet for the three of you. So after this has all been tran- you know, taken accounting of, what are the two of you doing? I really don't think we have too much else to do other than take in the sights of the museum. And especially considering the quality of the uh, statue in the office, there's probably some very interesting things to look at. The Venus statue is, well, it's very stunning, Lady Elizabeth. It's, It's well done. And having just gotten, it seemingly, a fresh wash, it is gleaming and um, inspiring. The rest of the museum is very similar. So the museum prides itself on a large and wide collection of Byzantine statues from several different sculptors. To say that the collection here might rival a place like the Louvre would not be too difficult a position to take. And so what what you're getting out of it as you walk through the rest of the museum or at least a large portion of it, is that there is definitely something for really any sort of art aficionado or someone who appreciates it. Yeah, I think we would make our way around the, you do a round around the museum and then short of anything else that we need to accomplish, I mean, our, our goal is to get more information out of him. It would be head back to the hotel, the one we are staying at, maybe get a bite to eat if we happen to run into the boys anywhere along the way or while we're there then that would be fine but otherwise it's going to be mostly awaiting to back up with this gentleman why don't the two of you make me a luck roll since there's more than one of you it would be a group luck roll 
We're pretty good. I have 52, Rena. What do you got? Yeah, I, I've got 73, so you're going to be rolling that, Miranda. That's right. I mean, I, there's more than a 50% chance of success here. Please roll luck, Miss Bellinger. I rolled a 51 under 52. Fantastic. So while you're touring the museum, we'll say that you spend a little over an hour, given the time of not only the time of day, but the time that you have. And you find a long corridor that sort of stretches down the backside of the building. It's a little irregular. It almost looks like a staff section of the building. There are paintings along the wall here. They're just very intermittent. And at the end of that section, you see a sign outside the door, which reads in a couple of different languages, one of which is French. And then the other one is Russian. And sort of through the phrase book, you see a sign that says the Bureau of National Treasures. It's not marked on your map. Well, that's interesting. Certainly is. I do wonder what sort of treasures they have hidden behind that door. Well, Miss Bellinger, you are quite adept at just barging into things at this point, so why don't you give it a go? Oh, look at this. This must be a separate exhibit, Lady Elizabeth, and I'll start shaking the handle. Yeah, it's open. How interesting that we would find this here. I can't believe they have this tucked away back here. That There's no signs in English, so... You open the door, and what you find is a very long flight of stairs that go down. What do you think, Lady Elizabeth? Are you up for a small detour? We aren't meeting up with the gentleman till later. Oh, I do appreciate your sense of adventure, Miss Bellinger. Off we go. I'll lead the way down the stairs. You lead the way down the stairs. It's likely about two flights directly down. So it does take a little work for you, Lady Elizabeth, with the cane and luckily the handrail to make work of those stair flights. It ends at the end of the stairway here with a small landing space and a door. Well, we'll check to see if this one is locked as well. It's not locked. There's a light on, you can tell, with just the briefest of light under the door. There's not a ton of light here at the bottom of the stairs. There's a single sort of amber bulb that's not super powerful. If they didn't want us in here, they would have locked these doors. I will peek in. You peek in and you see a small, looks like an accounting office. There's um, some small bookshelves behind a desk. The desk sits facing the door. There is a short and uh, wiry man that sits at it. And he has a green tinted light at his desk and he's sort of going over some paperwork. And there is a cigarette smoldering in an ashtray nearby. He picks it up. Oh, Oh, hello. Um, You speak English? I do. Hear his vibrant voice fill the desk area. Fantastic. I I don't know if we've gotten turned around or or what, but we've ended up down here. What is this place? Well, it's the Bureau of National Treasures, he sort of says with a chuckle. That sounds fantastic. Perfect thing to have in a museum. Yes. We're helping catalog the items that have been obtained and that are being secured here at the museum. We're making sure that everything is accounted for. I don't see why you wouldn't. Is there something specific you're looking for? Oh, not particular. We were touring around the museum and we saw the sign. It greatly interested us and we thought that we have some unique pieces of art or or treasures down here. 
Well, there are a fair amount of treasures within the museum and those that the museum is tracking beyond its walls, of course. Can I offer you a seat? Well, yes. Do you often do tours down here or do folks often come down and and see these things? He looks to his left where there's a a door that leads out of the office. Obviously, the, the one you didn't come in and he sort of looks at the door. We don't do a lot of tours, actually. Oh, perhaps just the one? Perhaps. Is there something specific you're looking for? No, not at all. Why don't you go ahead and roll Persuade for me, Spelliger, because you're lying. That is a 25 over 5, and I will spend the luck. There's a 25 over... Sorry, 25 over 20. Okay, I just want to make sure you don't overspend your luck. No, it is a 25 over 20. I will be spending 5 luck. He stands up. I'm certain that uh, we could work out a tour. Sure. That'd be fantastic. I'm particularly interested in, in various this statuaries, finely carved, intricate body parts. Body parts? Hmm. Interesting. We have quite the interest in statuary. My charming American friend has an interesting way of putting things. He uh, stands up and stubs out his cigarette and then walks towards the door. You see him dig into his pocket and then pull out a ring of keys. And you see him unlock the door. And then he turns the handle and offers the two of you a chance to enter. I will proceed. Temptation is what drives Maggie Bellinger. Hmm. Is that it? Okay. And you, Lady Elizabeth, staying outside? No, I follow her in because Lord knows what happens when Maggie's left to her own devices. Yes, you of all people would know that for certain. So he steps inside after you. And then, as you can see in this small sort of corridor space beyond it, there are what look like shelving, large rack shelving units here. So... This would be something that you might see like a wood pallet of items get set on. There's two levels. You can see that there's some sort of machine over there in the corner that allows them to raise up crates to go on larger spaces. And the uh, two of you walk through a little bit of a chilly corridor and he walks along these displays, basically, for lack of a better term. So the museum has been at it for some time cataloging and making sure that pieces that are supposed to be here and that are native stay. Gone as far as to secure some assistance with that. We're currently looking at securing a few pieces to the south, bringing them back. I don't know how much you're aware. He sort of directs this to you, Miss Bellinger. I don't know how much you're aware, but during the war, Belgrade lost an awful lot, not just in buildings and brick, but in treasures that were taken from the city. Well, that's terrible. It is. The people deserve better. They do. And what you're doing here, then, this this is a great endeavor to get back what rightfully belongs in Belgrade. Hmm. Correct. There are several things here that have passed through our city. Things they don't want you to know about. Oh? He gets a real, almost sinister edge to his voice. I'm very interested in mysteries. I find them riveting and I get a little closer. So the two of you are now fairly close near this one sort of display. We'll just say a series of body parts made of marble. If you're interested in 
learning more, it's my understanding that the curator is hiding something as we speak. Who is he? And I'll kind of like put my hand on his his shoulder and, and lean in kind of like, oh, this is a secret between us two. He cups his hand and he whispers something in your ear. And he says, it's word he knows of a, a magical sculpture. A magical sculpture? He won't tell anyone about it, but he's certain that it exists. Oh, wouldn't that be a thing? Magic? And do you believe this to be true? I believe that old men that watch buildings for decades eventually go mad. He chuckles, and you see him sort of sit, stand back up. He's not very tall. He's maybe five, six, five, seven. And he uh, ducks into his pocket and takes out a pack of cigarettes. He says, I've heard him at night when he's here in the museum prattering on about it. Like he's mumbling something about some ancient legend. How strange. We actually met with him earlier today. Oh, did you? He's a decent fellow as far as I know. He's just a little... Well, he's a little lost sometimes. His office, how he held himself, seemed very... I don't want to say out of place here, but it was something along those lines. It seems like he holds himself in a, to a very high standard. Yes, it's not all he holds himself to. Oh, what do you mean? <laughs> he lights the cigarette and you see a big, wide smile come across his face. He has a very special relationship with the statues around here. I'm sure if you met with him in his office... We did see it, yes. Oh, that Venus statue? Mm-hmm. It is... One of his favorites. And so when you're having this conversation, while this is going on, Lady Elizabeth, give me a psychology roll. On my 38, 46. Okay. I'm going to spend the luck. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. I've got 73, so might as well use it. So it's not much, but there is something about this office worker's, the way he's talking. You can tell that he has no one to talk to down here. And you can see him start to just sort of like gossip with Maggie. And Maggie, you start learning all things about people in the museum you had no idea about. And you come to the understanding with talking with this office worker that he's the youngest person who works here. Mm -hmm. He's like mid-20s and he's in this basement office where he's away from people. And he's trying very hard not to, you know, find something else to do with his life. It's just that the museum pays him a wage and jobs are hard to find here. So, And Maggie loves gossip, so she will just eat it, eat it all up. You get like a, a boatload of gossip. You learn all sorts of things about the people at the front desk and how, you know, their machinations work and how what pieces they like. Um, he tells you that the, the curator of the museum tends to wash the statue once or twice a day, that he's sort of become enraptured with it and that Sure, he's a nice he's a nice fellow and all, but he has his own ticks. He has his own little idiosyncrasies. There's a lot of uh, oh stop, that can't be true. A hand pat on the shoulders from Maggie, leaning in and giggling. And um, but you all learned something new. Well, it, it was very kind of you to give us this extra tour. I I certainly feel honored and, and like a special guest here. I wink at him. Oh, good. Well, you are. Oh, well, I do suppose we should should leave you to your work, but um, perhaps perhaps we'll see each other out and about in in town. We sh we should be in town for for a few days at least. Good. Yeah, I mean, if you need any assistance with anything the museum might be able to offer, 
There's a ton of history here. So if you have questions about something, stop down. Of course. What about a good place to eat in the city? Oh, I can give you a few. What are you looking to eat? I, I, I don't even know where to begin. I've never been this far from home before, so I guess something local. Mm. Regional. Well, you should check out the market if you're in for a, a little bit more of a local experience. Oh, well, I will do that then. Wonderful. You do part ways with them. Now far more in tune with the National Museum of Belgrade than you've ever wanted to be in your entire life. Yeah, he seems like a nice young chap. He probably doesn't want to associate with us. It wouldn't be good for his health. So the, the long walk back up the stairs is one thing. The walk out of the museum is another. By then, it's probably three o'clock, and the two of you are probably just a little tired of walking. Lady Elizabeth, perhaps we should get a car back to the hotel. Shan't be hearing any complaints from me. Also, I'm a little worried about showing him a body part. He sounds a little weird about them. Oh, but that means the two of you should get along quite well. Well, I'm just, I'm used to my being able to charm men with my body parts, and I feel like he will be more interested in the statues after our talk with that gentleman. And perhaps he will get infatuated and try to take it from us. So really, the gentleman should be with us when we meet with him. Oh, I would agree with that at least, but uh, I, I do think we should show him. He has a very academic interest. I think his interest is more than academic. Okay, so uh, gentlemen, after your time at the jewelers, are you headed back to the hotel as well? Yeah, we might stop off for a, a bite to eat uh, on the way back. Okay. I think on, on the walk back as well, if, if we get a moment where we can have a more private conversation, Fraser would like to talk to the professor just about the conversation that they had in the in the shop and about what his take on the the situation is regarding the shopkeeper and that but obviously if there's a lot of people about and if they've got the uh the guide peter with them kind of just shoulder to shoulder you maybe hold on to that that conversation until they get back to the hotel yeah you do have the guide right on your uh, side there so that might be something you decide to wait on okay so i'm gonna make investigator soup as i enjoy doing and we'll place you all back at the hotel together. You find each other in the, we'll say, just restaurant cafe that's in the this portion of the hotel. I would imagine that Miss Bellinger and Lady Elizabeth need to eat something. So we'll say that you're doing that while the uh, gents arrive back. Oh, um, Mr. Fraser, Richard, uh, we're over here. Hello. Oh, Miss Bellinger. Come join us. Afternoon tea. Uh, yes. Splendid. We've had a, a late lunch ourselves. Well, still, you can sit with us and talk. We have many things to discuss. I'm sure you do as well. Yes, indeed. How how did it go at the museum? Quite informative. We did meet the curator of the museum. What was his, his name again? It was uh, Dr. Uh, Todorovich. We actually discussed the, the piece with him, and he seemed quite interesting. Uh, apparently, Smith has talked to him at, at length about it previously. Oh, so he's aware of, of the situation, if we can call it that. He is aware, um, but he didn't. He was he was hesitant to talk to us much about it without proof of its existence. We have agreed to meet with him at the. At a, well, we told him we were staying at the Hotel Europa. We have agreed to meet with him and show him a piece there. <laughs> yes, that's that's very clever. 
However, then we ran into another gentleman in the basement. Something about the, the National Archive Institute treasures. And he told me some very interesting things about this gentleman. Namely, that he washes his statues a lot. It's quite literally that, and he's infatuated with them. That he spent a lot of time alone with a lot of nude statues of ladies. And there's a Venus in his office. A, a what now? A statue. She was very lovely, and I hear she washes her at least twice a day. Yes, yes, yes. I understand, yes. I wasn't sure whether you were referring to uh, the goddess, the planet, or the flytrap. The first. The first. So, he has something of an obsession with statues. And a somewhat of an obsession with a magical statue that he talks about. Now, he made it seem like Smith was the one with the infatuation, but then when I talked to this young gentleman in the basement, he made it sound as if the museum curator himself had the infatuation with this magical statue, of which I believe we we have several pieces. I wonder if he perhaps has a piece himself. Well, he may. So I am, I'm slightly concerned about meeting him with one of our pieces and not being with you, having you available. I'm, I'm worried he may try to take it. Do you believe he can't be trusted? Well, it's not that I believe he can't be trusted, but I know how men can be when they become infatuated with a thing. He may go at great, to great lengths to get it, and seeing two women alone, he may try to take it from us outright or cause us harm. If you're together, you're not alone. I suppose that's right, Mr. Fraser, but uh, still, some people underestimate us simply uh, because of who we are. That is precisely what I was about to say. If he thinks that he can take the statue piece off your hands just because you're women, then uh, I think he is underestimating you greatly. This, This may be the case. I was thinking perhaps that you could be there, but not with us. You could watch. We are meeting in a public place. Yes, indeed. Perhaps I could secrete myself somewhere around the museum and uh, observe you from uh, from a, a hidden place. And maybe another um, opportunity for a tea, perhaps, in the uh, reception of the uh, Hotel Europa. If that's what you feel is the best way to hide yourself away there, Richard, I suppose that is very incognito of you. Well, I mean, we can hide in plain sight. Yes, that is what I meant, yes. He has not seen you and only knows of us. Quite. Right then, so it sounds like there is a bit of planning that will go into um, the meeting. It'll happen at the secret hotel, the fake hotel, that uh, Miss Ballinger has picked out for meeting the curator. So thank you so much for joining us in this episode of Horror on the Orient Express. We can't wait to see what Miss Bellinger builds next. Thank you and good night.